it's not him. You know, he's a proclaimed uh, non-Christian. So if you think he's because he played God in Bruce Almighty, he's not a Christian. And that's out of his mouth, okay? Uh, but that his voice is really good. So whoever sounds like Morgan Freeman can do lots of voiceovers and make money. Amen? Today, guess what we're going to be talking about? Equipping. Equipping. What are we going to be equipped with? If you have your Bible, would you hold your Bible up this morning? And just stand up. We're going to say this... this uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17 together. Have your Bible in your hand. If you don't have a Bible, reach under the pew or the, cha- the pew. Under the chair, there's, there are Bibles. And it's something I want to say before, before, we, before we do the Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, take that Bible home with you that you find under the chairs, okay? We can replenish those. There's no one in, in America should not have a Bible. They're available, and most of us have 10 or 12 or whatever, and I know you might have an iPhone, but sometimes the batteries are dead, right? Sometimes your iPhone, you lose it. Have a Bible in your home. Read your Bible. Okay, would y'all read this with me together? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This morning, we're going to be talking about being equipped. And the best way that I can equip you, your life group pastors can equip you, the best way you can become equipped is that you begin to read the Word of God. There's no substitute for it, I'm telling you. Next week, I believe we're going to be preaching because we are a, we are a Word and power church, so to speak. We believe in the full, the gifts, we believe in the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe that. But listen, we do not believe that apart from the Word of God. So next week I'm going to be preaching that the E next week will be empowered, okay? They work together beautifully. So this morning I thank God for His Word. Y'all thank Him for His Word this morning. Just thank Him for His Word. Thank you, Lord, for Your Word. Thank you for the people that sacrificed their lives to bring this Word to us today. You know, people gave their lives for this, that we might have it. We should never take it for granted. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to turn in, in these Bibles, your Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we found our key verses. Second Tim, and if you think the Bible is outdated, you won't think so after we read the next few verses. It's just as appropriate, it's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago or 6,000 years ago. It's just as relevant. Amen. Lord, you know why it's relevant? Because God wrote it and he said, I'm the Lord thy God, I do not change. <laughs> so it's relevant. Jesus says the same yesterday, today, and forever. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. If you're taking notes, like you'll be going through these in your life groups uh, Wednesday, hopefully, and Monday. So take notes if you would like and help out the life group pastors. They get, they get sermon notes also. They get them uh, that they use those sometimes for guidelines. It's not an exact science what we're doing there. We're, we encourage them to be led by the Spirit. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, is a, uh, he came to know Christ in a more supernatural, dramatic way than the other apostles or disciples when he had an encounter with him on the road to Damascus after Jesus had died, been buried, resurrected, and was sitting at, seated at the right hand of the Father. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus as he was doing something very evil. God changed his life. 
And now he has fathered churches. He has, he has birthed churches throughout the area, throughout the, what was then uh, Greece and, and uh, Turkey and those areas all the way to Rome. He's birthed birthed these churches, established churches as a missionary. And one of the young men that he was like a son to him is Timothy. And Timothy was probably, according to some people, he was probably the first megachurch pastor, large church, in a most difficult, difficult time, the time of Nero. This this man, if you think that there is cruelty happening today with with, uh, uh, ISIS, go back and read about Nero and see what he did to Christians. And uh, you'll see times have not changed much. So when he wrote this, and he said, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. He was speaking to Timothy right then. These are the last days, Timothy. Perilous times are coming, and Timothy's going, no, duh. Man, it's bad, Paul. It's bad where I'm at. That's why Paul, that's why Paul had to say, Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. He had encouraged Timothy. He was a younger man, and he was over these, this large, large church. And can you imagine the persecution that was going on? They were, Christians were being arrested. They were being thrown into the lions for the lions for, and the gladiators. All those things that were taking place during that time period. They would dip them in, in oil and light them up with a torch so they could light up the way to the palace for, for Nero. That, that's how cruel these people were. And they were, they were persecuting. So Timothy, when Paul says, hey, in the last days, uh, perilous times will come, Timothy knew exactly what Paul was talking about. He knew exactly what he's talking about. Perilous, the word perilous means hard to do, to take, to approach, hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous, harsh, fierce, savage. That's what that time looked like then, and that's what the time looks like now. Maybe it hasn't been come full-blown into America yet, but it's, it's heading this way. In the last days, Paul says to Timothy, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like America today? That sounds like the ultimate selfishness. And some people say that that's the number one sin, selfishness. Looking out for number one, and number one isn't God. He said, thou shalt have what? No other gods before me. Idolatry in America, maybe it's, it's probably not sports, it's probably not sex, it's, probably, it's selfishness. Because all those other things are born out of you wanting your way. Me wanting my way. And selfishness is rampant in our country and in our world today, not just in America. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Verse 5, just the first part of verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. See, that's the scary part to me. He said, we're last, the last days, all these things, people are going to be this way and that way. Uh, they're going to be lovers of themselves, money, pleasures, all that. And he says, but they're going to have a form of godliness, a form of godliness. What does that mean, a form of godliness? Well, it says, it, that means to me they're going to look kind of like God. They're going to talk a little bit like God. They're going to act a little bit like God. You know anybody like that? They have an appearance. They, have, they, they seem, they talk a good game. But when it comes right down to it, they deny the power of God. They say there are other ways to God. There are many ways. To, there are many books. The Bible's just one of many books. And they begin to deny the power. They begin to deny the authority of the Word of God. And that's the day that we live in. It's called hypocrisy. 
having a form of godliness but denying the power. Now, I want to share. I don't, I'm not a big, normally I don't do statistics. But Mary Lou and I, we, uh, we got a new book in by Jim Simbola. Jim Simbola, man, he was, he's an awesome guy. If you've never read any of his books, I would, hear, I would suggest you read every one of his books. J-I-M, Jim Simbola, C-Y-M-B-A-L-A. He is the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church in, in Brooklyn, New York. Started with about 17 people in a rundown building, and now they have 10,000 people. But he preaches the same message. He's never wavered. He's never become a seeker-friendly guy. He wants people to know the truth because he knows if they know the truth, the truth will what? Set them free. Okay? But he's got some disturbing, disturbing statistics as he studied for this book called The Storm. And he, he starts out about, he's, in, uh, he's up in the 26th floor of his apartment building in Brooklyn. And from there, he, he, you can see the lights of Manhattan and Manhattan skyline. Anybody ever seen, been to New York or Brooklyn and looked over? The skyline's beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's just incredible. The, the millions of lights that are over there. And he said he looked out and he heard the storm. Sandy was coming. And he said, one, all of a sudden, the, the wind got up. Man, he said, I'm not sure I should be up here. And he wasn't sure how bad that storm was going to be. And he said, all of a sudden, he looked across. And he, because his wife was in Nashville recording a record, he looked across in the city, the skyline, the lights went out. He said, that was my compass. That was how I would knew. I knew where I was because I could look at the lights at night. Like a sailor would look at the moon or the stars. He said, it was gone. The lights were out. He said, it looks that way in America for the church, like the lights are going out. And he says that because of this. There was a website that, that he had went to. It says, and you probably heard this, and I've heard it, uh, that 246,780,000 people or 79.5% of the population in the United States claim that they're Christians. Hallelujah! 80% of Americans too. Wow! Or Christians. Y'all don't too excited about that. You know why? Because it's not true. It's not true. Say it's not true. It's, it's not true. It isn't. If it was true, let's just, let's just pretend, Carol, that that was true, that 270 million people out of the 330 million people were born again, love Jesus, he's the only way, Christians, would our country look like it does now? Of course not. Because we have... What dominates a culture, like population dominates a culture. What, what's, whatever is in the biggest part of the population doing, that's what dominates a culture. And we've allowed the, little, the minorities to begin to dominate the culture because the other part of the culture is not operating the way it's supposed to. If, if 270 million Americans say they're Christians, then why would minorities in the sense, and you know what I'm talking about, would allow that to come in and sweep through our country? Because if we were really being the Christians we were supposed to be, that wouldn't happen. We wouldn't, we wouldn't vote in abortion. We wouldn't vote prayer out of school. Would we? Okay. Now, in the book, The Great Evangelical Recession, author John S. Dickerson takes a closer look at these exaggerated statistics and the data behind them, and he finds that the numbers just don't add up. He points out that a vast majority of those claiming to be Christians rarely attend church, nor do they trust in Christ alone for their salvation, nor do they value God's word as the only ruler for faith and practice. How many of you have had conversations with people, and you never didn't really know them, but you just kind of wanted to get to know them? And in the getting to know them, you kind of want to get to know if they're a Christian or not, right? And you begin to ask them questions, and 
and they say, yeah, 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 I, I believe in God. That was always the classic response when I was going through the jail and when I was a, a chaplain at the uh, Tom Green County Jail. I would ask these guys, men, I said, tell me about your faith. Well, I believe in God. I believe in God, Pastor. Chaplain, I believe in God. I said, really? That's awesome. Well, who's Jesus to you? Well, man, <laughs> I'm not sure. See, the demons believe in God. The demons believe in God. Just to say I believe in God does not make you a Christian. If your mom and daddy are Christians, that does not make you a Christian. If you signed on a dotted line some church or, hey, just because you're an American, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. And people, it's, so, it's been so diluted that people, 200 and something million, say, yes, I'm a Christian. And they don't even know what they're talking about. And you've talked to people, haven't you? And they, they said, alluded to the fact, yeah, I'm a Christian. Then you begin to talk to them about their life. And all of a sudden, nothing adds up about their life. About, and and it, it doesn't equal Christianity at all. Here's the more accurate facts, guys, ladies. Dickerson looked at four different researchers, not just one, who had four different motivations, not just one, and they had four different methodologies, not just one, to calculate the real numbers. And their unanimous conclusion was that the actual number of evangelical Christians, I hope you're ready for this, because I wasn't. It's between 7 to 8.9% of the population. Not 40%, not 70%, not 80. 7 to 8.9% of Americans are really, truly, according to this research, evangelical Christians. Now, I'll explain to evangelical Christians. That's not charismatics. That's not Protestants. That's people that believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. That's people that believe that the Bible is the inerrant word of God. That's, that's people that believe that Jesus died and, and was buried and rose. He died for our sins. He rose from the, from the dead on the third day. Ascended. That's, that's what that means. That's the research. That's the criteria that, that, the, that the church is important, that attending church is important. In 2012, the Barna Group found that 46% of churchgoers said their life had not changed at all as a result of church going. Something's wrong, people. Something is definitely just wrong. When that many people say, I've been to church, I go to church all the time, but I've never had a change in my life because I've been, or I've not learned anything that made an impact on my life. I just go to go. And on top of that, three out of five church attenders, 61%, said they could not remember a significant new insight gained by attending church. And what is even more bothersome is that one-third of those who attended church in the past have never felt God's presence in a congregational meeting. That's what we're up against. That's what we're in the midst of. Mary Lou and I were reading, he was talking about churches, and he was interviewing pastors, and all these pastors would come up to Brother Simbola, and they said, man, we haven't baptized anybody in two years. We're thinking about shutting the doors. And the research shows that many denominations that are not actively pursuing God and living and preaching repentance and preaching the Bible is true and preaching that Jesus is the only way, many denominations are just fading away because there's no power. There's a form of godliness. They might have a cross on their roof or, or a steeple. But there's a form of godliness, but there's no power. There's power in the word of God, church. 
The second part of verse 5, Paul's advice to Timothy. And from such people, turn away. For these people, Timothy, Timothy, if they want to get involved in your life, don't let them. Turn them away. Walk away from them. See, some people, some of you in here this morning, you are in a, you're in relationships or you're in association with people that you should not be in a relationship with or in association with. You have unholy alliances with people. They're not Christians. They're not believers. Or, or maybe they, they say they are, but there's no evidence of it. There's no fruit of it. And you're still involved with those people. Listen, Paul would tell you, turn away from them. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. I can't tell you how many people that I've known that has come out from addictions and said, I can walk this walk now. I've got Jesus. And yet they immediately go back to the old culture, the old lifestyle, because they get caught up again with their old friends. And that's evil company. They're not, we're not saying you can't love those people, but love them from a distance. Pray for them from a distance. You're not going to change them. You need to be changed. You need to become a rock. You need to become solid in your faith. You need to be mature in your faith. And look what Paul calls them. He calls them creeps. Verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. See, we live in this... Uh, when I first, the first time I really read that scripture, I thought of, of TV preachers that come into the homes through the television with the housewife at home. Does that make sense? Creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with... It could be just soap operas. I don't know. But they come into our homes. We let them in our homes through the television. We let creeps into our house through the television. And you know what they do? They bring a mixing. They bring a mixing of faith and truth. You know what happens when you take a whole lot of truth and you add a, one little lie to it? You know what it becomes? A lie. It becomes a lie. We have allowed the, the lies to come in, the deception to come in, the, the wolves in sheep's clothing to come into the churches in America and across the world. And they've taken what was true and they begin to infiltrate and plug in and, 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 and uh, just pour some lies here and pour a little bit of lie there. And all of a sudden, everything looks weird. It looks wrong. And all of a sudden, we were waking up and going, oh, well, how did we get to this place of smorgasbord Christianity? The other day, I forgot who was, was it you, Mary Lou, talking to somebody that said they were a Christian Buddhist? Somebody was telling me that they were a Christian Buddhist. Really? Wow, that's interesting. How is that working for you? Seriously, we have, Chris, we have smorgasbord Christianity. It's like, here's, get in the cafeteria, get your little, get your tray and go through and pick out which things you like on, in the row. Well, I like that. Oh, that teaching's a little bit hard, I think. Oh, oh, I like that. Oh, we're the light. We can be this. And oh, no, I don't like that. And we start picking and choosing what we want. And we start, you know what you're doing when you do that? You're ripping out pages of the Bible. You're ripping out pages of the Bible. You're saying, I don't like that. Wah. I'll take that out. I don't like what he talked about that. We're supposed to be righteous. Whoosh. Jesus is the only way. I don't like that, John 14. Whoosh. Tear it out. And people will get on television and tell you there are many ways to heaven. Wow, then that makes this book a lie. 
If that's true, this book is a lie. And if one thing in here is a lie, the whole thing's a lie. You understand that? So you either believe it all or you believe nothing of it. But we have people that pick and choose. And they like this. And that. You know, they're all saying, oh, I think Jesus is a great old, he's a great guy, man. He raised the dead and he healed the sick. Man, I, I would love to have been there when he, he was a cool dude, man. I just, Jesus was awesome. Oh, who is he to you? Well, you know, he was just a great teacher. Well, if you believe that Jesus was only a great teacher, only a prophet, then you've called him a liar. You've called him a lunatic, basically. And there are people that do that. They, all these other religions, they say, to, to make you feel good, they'll say, well, Jesus is just all right. Oh, yeah, Jesus is just all right with me. Doobie Brothers. And they've mixed. Man, there's a danger in mixing. Danger in it. Verse uh, 8. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. The people he's been talking about previously. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. See, the truth is going to shine, and it's going to dispel the darkness at some point. And it did for Janus and Jambres. Now, that's the only time they're ever mentioned in the Bible. So you have to go look. Well, who are Janus and Jambres? Anybody ever studied Janus and Jambres? They were the two. They were the magicians that worked for. They were, they were in Pharaoh's court. And so when Moses and Aaron came in there and, and they threw down the rod, well, they threw down their rod. See, they, they, they had the power of Satan behind them. They weren't parlor tricks. They weren't illusions. They had the power of the enemy, the power of Satan, to mimic God's miracles, right? But guess what? The, the, the rod of Aaron, guess what it did to their rod? <laughs> Ate it up. See, they... That's, again, he's talking about deception in the church. There are going to be people that say, wow, look, did you hear about those miracles over there? Did you hear about those things? The demons, oh, wow. And people are going to run after these people. And they're going to find out that they're running after the wrong people. They're going to be running after people like Janus and Jambres. Who are doing all these things under the guise of Christianity, but it's satanic. That's how the enemy works. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 says the coming of the lawless one or the Antichrist is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Satan has real power. God has more. You need to be aware of your surroundings, church. You need to be aware of who you talk to at the water cooler and what they're pouring into you, what they're speaking. You need to be aware of what you're reading on the Internet. Uh Because there's everything there. You can get so messed up if you start reading the Internet. And you type in certain things. You want to do some Bible study. But you're not going to study the Bible. You're going to study what somebody else thinks about the Bible. And you'll get so misguided and so off track. You know what? You might not quit believing the Bible. You'll just start questioning it. Wow, that person said this was a contradiction of that. Huh, and you start studying it. Hmm. You get a mixing. You need to be aware of your surroundings, church. Verse 10. This is Paul. He said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, 
what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. Well, hallelujah. Does make you want to just jump up and shout? Well, first, I want to look at verse 10. Because this is what I think is so important. In verse 10, Paul says, my lifestyle has lined up with my teaching. That's what he's telling them. He says, my lifestyle, I have not taught you one thing and lived another life. I have not poured out my heart to you in the doctrine or teaching that God has given me, poured into me. I have not poured that into you, and then I live contradictory to that life. But so many Christians do. They want to teach you. They want to tell you. They want to prophesy of you. But their life shows no fruit of, the, of, of a Christian life. Listen, from those people, you need to run as fast as you can. How many of you, how many of you know what I'm talking about? That guy at work, he knows all the Bible. And he wants to tell you everything. But you watch his life, and there's, his life has nothing to do with Christianity. And you go, man, don't talk to me anymore. I'm not listening to you. Turn away from him and walk away from him. You might offend him. That's okay. But you need to guard yourself. Guard your mind. What if you had to write a letter? I, I put this down. I thought, he wrote a letter and said, Timothy, I've taught you this and this is how I've lived and I'm not contradicting what I've taught you. How many of you, including me, how many of us, could write a letter and say, hey, I've taught you, I'll live this way. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to go back and go, oh, I'm so sorry I did this, I'm so sorry I did that. How many of us could write a letter like that? I think it might not be as many as we think it would be. We have taught, we have shared, we have, we have poured into, but yet our life doesn't line up with the things that we're telling other people. We, it's, it's the old saying, do as I say, not as I do. Parents love that line. Man, that's a cop-out, parents. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I do as I do. I'm, the, I'm wearing the pants. I'm, I'm the head of this house. You do what I tell you to do, boy. And then you go and do exactly what you tell them not to do or to do. And they look at you and go, hmm, that's a mixed signal, Dad. I don't really quite get that. And then they rebel. And you go, I don't, re- I don't understand why, why they rebelled. <laughs> well, because you've lived a double life. You've lived a double-minded life. And if you live a double-minded life, you know what the Bible says you'll get from God? Zilch. So that was a freebie. Okay. Y'all sound excited about that. I want to ask you these questions because this is what Paul shared. Is your life characterized by your purpose? His was. Is your life characterized by your faith? Paul's was. Is your life characterized by your long-suffering? What do people see when you're going through trials and tribulations? What do they see in your life? Is your life characterized by the way you love? Or do you just love the lovely? Is your life characterized by the way you persevere through trials and tribulations? That come your way. Paul's was. And that's why God said, I want his word in my book. These epistles that Paul wrote. That's why he said these are God-inspired scriptures. They were added. And in that, he cautions Timothy and he cautions us that if we desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus, we will suffer persecution. Our persecution in America right now is is limited. We still live in a fairly free country. 
It's not as free as it used to be. And we can see the freedoms are being taken away little by little. How are we going to respond to that? How are you not going to respond to that? Are we going to go and raise cannon? Are we going to go pick it and go march around uh, the governor's office? If, man, you know, if God tells you to do that, maybe you should do that. Or should we become the church that God's called us to be? And become a light in a dark place. Won't that make more of an impact? If we will actually submit to God, if we would repent as a church, wouldn't, wouldn't that make more of an impact on the country? You see, why do you think people are leaving the church in droves? Why do you think young people, when they get their driver's license, they don't come back to youth group? Why do you think that happens? Because we have a form of godliness, but we're, the power's not showing up. This is a tough sermon to preach. It's a tough book to read. That's just the first chapter we read. I mean, I don't know how many of you have heard, but in Houston, Texas, the mayor there said, we want to see everybody's sermons. I mean, I'm... I can't go into the, all the details of it because that's, that's too broad. But there was a circumstance there and a, a, an ordinance that was being passed and pastors got together. Thank God pastors got together. They had a petition signed. They went to the city council. They did what they thought was the right way to go about it. And they just tossed the signatures in the trash said, no. Matter of fact, not only are we not going to listen to your, your voice, uh, we are going to subpoena the sermons of the five pastors that are in opposition to this city council, this ordinance. I found I was, I was reading this on Facebook, and one guy said, "Yeah, that that's cool. If she wants the sermon notes, just take Bibles to her. Just give all those attorneys give them the Bibles, because that's our sermon notes right here. You can find them right here. But guys, I'm just saying that's the tip of the iceberg. It's just starting. Are we going to be Are we going to be standing? Are we going to Are we going to stand firm in our faith? That's what he was telling Timothy. Timothy. I know they're dipping Christians in oil and setting them on fire, but will you continue to preach the word? Oh, man. Talk about pastors leaving the pulpits in mass. Pastors leave it. Did you know that the statistics say every month, is it 1,500? 15,000 pastors leave the ministry every month in America. Every month. Something's wrong, guys. And I'm not saying it's wrong with us here because we have the perfect church. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm not saying that because the enemy will try to get his foot in the door anywhere he can. And he doesn't usually beat down the door. He usually just slides in. He's deceptive. He's sleazy. Verse uh, 13. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I love that, that verse. I love that passage. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of my mom. Had the big... Bible storybook with the color pictures, those slick pages. That was, those are cool pages, you know, all the rest of them. You get to the slick page, had the cool picture and the color picture, and it showed, showed David slaying Goliath, and you would go to all that. See, my mom read me the, the stories when I was a little boy. 
She read all of us the, the stories. We had to go and kneel by the bed at night to pray when we were little. And she would lead us in prayer, then she would ask us to pray. And I have a feeling that Timothy's mom was kind of like that. And his grandmother, Lois, or Eunice. And they, they were teaching this little Timothy the scriptures. Back then, now, it was the Old Testament as we know it today. They were teaching him and giving him a foundation. And Paul said, you got to go back to that foundation. Listen, you need to go back to the foundation, the Word of God that's been imparted to you by your parents or by a Sunday school teacher, by a preacher, by a teacher, by a friend. I don't know who it is. You may just now be getting it, but you need to start getting it. We met uh, Monday. I was talking with Jeff when we were meeting, and I said, we need to pray. What's it? The prayer request to my heart on Monday was, that you would give this body a hunger for the Word. Just give us a hunger for the Word. Because there are, there are days when we're not hungry for it. You know? Give us a hunger for this Word. Renew our passion for the Word of God. And he's saying to Timothy, no matter what comes your way, Timothy, stay true to the Word of God. Then verse 16 and 17. All Scripture. Say All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teaching, for reproof, reproof or for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God... See, now the man of God, that's gender neutral. That means man and woman, child. The man of God may be complete. Say complete. And then he says this, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we don't have this... If we don't have this in our heart, we're not going to be equipped for every good work. We're not going to be thoroughly equipped. You might be somewhat equipped, but you won't be thoroughly equipped because this is a weapon. This is a weapon. This is armor. This is truth. This is life to us. You saw the video, all these things that this is for us. First Timothy 1.18, Paul tells Timothy, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, or the fight the good fight of faith. See, some people, they want to fight the devil. God's not called us to fight the devil. He's called us to fight the good fight of faith. He's told us to resist the devil. He's told us to stand. He didn't say, wake up in the morning. Okay, devil, what do you want? You, you coming at me today? I'm going to go, I'm coming. I'm, 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 I'm here. Man, don't do that. When you wake up in the morning, talk to God, not the devil. Don't make the devil the focus of your prayers. I mean, I think we've all been through some period of our life that we were getting into warfare. And all of a sudden, we, the warfare changed. And all of a sudden, it was about the enemy, the enemy, the enemy. And, and, and listen, the more you focus on him, the less you're focusing on God. The fight we fight is a fight of faith. If you turn over to Ephesians 6, Paul says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith which shall quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and, and, say and, and the sword of the Spirit. And what's the sword of the Spirit? The Word of God. This is our sword. Some of you need to learn how to use your sword. You want to give a kid 
that has no idea what a sword is, you want to give him a sword that's sharp on both edges and let him go play with it. Hey, here's your sword. Oh, that's my ear, child. You know? What do you, well, I don't know what this... That's what some Christians are. They don't know the word. And so they go out and they swing it and they wield it and they use it in legalism. They use it in condemnation and they use it all the wrong reasons. And he says we need to have our armor on and then the sword, which is our only offensive weapon. That's the word of God. And you combine that with praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. See, there's, there's an equipping that's taking place here. And this is part of the equipment. If you want to be equipped for every good work, you've got to, this has got to be part of your equipment. This has got to be in your repertoire of armor. It's got to be. Because if you've got some of that on and you don't have this, you're still not going to be able to fight the good fight of faith. This weapon... The word is powerful. If you don't believe me, look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged or double-edged sword. In other words, it cuts both ways. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints of marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Derek Prince said this, that while we are reading the word, the word is reading us. I like that. You know what he's talking about there, don't you? You're reading the Word, and men, you're reading something, and all of a sudden, God's speaking right back to you with that same Word that you're reading. And you say, yeah, Harold, you get that? Because you haven't been applying that to your life. <laughs> oh, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you for showing because he's reading your mail. We don't have to wait for a prophet to come to read our mail. The Word of God will read your mail, and he will correct you. If you'll let him, he'll correct you. That's what it says in 2 Timothy. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Are you allowing God's word to equip you? Are you learning God's word? Now, lest I, somebody leaves here today and says, all we got to have is a word and we'll be good. I mean, let, me, let me make sure you understand. This is a part of the equipment. Because if you just read this and memorize it, which is awesome, and you don't do it, you've missed it. This is not be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And some of you, you have a hard time understanding the word, and so you need the power of the Holy Spirit to interpret the word for you. It says he, the Spirit teaches us all things. He will make the word of God come alive. Maybe you're one of those people that you open up and Pastor, I just don't understand it. And you've got a good translation. It's not because it's King James, the thou's and the these and all that, and the wax is cold, you know, those, you know, those things. You've got a good translation, but you read it and you don't comprehend it. I would ask you this first before you read it, ask the Holy Spirit and invite him in to help you understand it. It'll change the way that the scriptures come alive to you. I want to close with a, a couple of more statistics from that same book. According to the American Bible Society State of the Bible in 2013, the number of Americans who are antagonistic toward the Bible has increased from 10% to 17% in just two years. That's a big increase in two years. Anybody know anybody that's antagonistic toward the word? 
Yeah. Uh, I can't believe you're reading that. That's just, that's old. Man, that thing is outdated. You really believe that that's true? You believe every word that God inspired this? Hmm. You believe those stories? You, you really believe that a guy built an ark and God called all the... You'll have those people, right? You don't, don't argue with them. Don't argue with them. Just say, yes, I believe that. Or you can argue with them if you're equipped. <laughs> not argue with them, but take your stand with the word. But if you're not equipped... They'll slice and dice you sometimes. Right? So you need to get equipped. Ask the evolutionist to explain evolution to you. And then you can go, you really believe that? <laughs> it's way weirder than anything the Bible says. It's crazy. There's a good statistic that came out, and it says two out of every three Americans believe the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. It's not bad. So it's still got a pretty good reputation. It's still the bestseller. No more, more books and more Bibles have been sold than all, probably all the other books in the world that added up together that have been sold. Millions and millions and millions of these have been sold or given away. But only one out of five 21% actively read the Bible at least four times a week. And even among churchgoers, churchgoers who believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, only 20% say they think about it during the day. How can you go a day without thinking about the Word? I don't know. How can you go a day without the Word of God popping up in your mind or a situation, circumstance? Or at least the word Jesus coming up in a positive way. God has spoken to us through his word. But are we taking the time to listen? Paul challenged Timothy in chapter 2, verse 15. He said, be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Listen, this morning... If you're not reading this, start. If you're not, start. I mean, this is not a, I'm not here to condemn you. The Holy Spirit's not going to condemn you. If, you. if you're not reading the Word, start reading the Word. It's just really kind of simple to tell you that. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible. There's no reason you shouldn't have a Bible. If you don't understand it, find somebody that can help you. We have people throughout this church in your life groups. Say, hey, take them aside. Say, I know some might, it might be embarrassing to you. Maybe you have a hard time reading. Maybe that's the problem. They have Bible on audio now. I mean, all kinds of translations. There's no reason you can't find the Word and get the Word. If I go, you can go to Bible Gateway on, on the Internet. It's free. and they, It's now on audio. I can just listen to it. Let's click on the little when my audio is working <laughs> and listen to the Bible. It's read to me. There's no excuse, guys. We need this word. This is life for us. This is power. And when he, when he, when the word, because the word is a he kind of, because Jesus said he is the word. Okay? So you say, I'm the word. The word became flesh. When he begins to correct you and reproof you and, and teach you, 
Don't take it as a negative. Take it as, God, I, I need this. I need this. I need this. So would you stand this morning? My prayer for you today is that God would give you a hunger for the Word. A fresh hunger. I know some of you have been reading the Word all your life and you read it every day, but maybe it's not coming alive to you like it used to. And I want to challenge our parents in here. Read the Word to your children. If you just start with the Bible stories, man, when the pastor gets up, you've heard of Noah in the ark. You know, I've heard pastors, you can get up... You could say Moses in the ark and people wouldn't, they wouldn't think anything of it because they didn't know Moses from Noah. But would you purpose in your heart that I'm going to begin to read the word to my kids? Maybe if it's just three minutes at the breakfast table. Just purpose in your heart. The word of God is going to be important in my household. I believe with all my heart that things will change in your life. I believe that you're going to be prepared For when the persecution comes, you're going to know what the Scripture says, how God says, just like Paul said, He's delivered me out of all of them. He's delivered me from all of them. And if those pastors that take a stand are arrested, they don't have to worry because God's going to deliver them. He is. We don't have to walk in fear. Matter of fact, we need to walk in more faith now than ever. So bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to bless you this morning. I don't really feel the, uh, an urge to have a, an invitation. I just feel today is more like of, uh, a blessing time. And I want to bless you this morning. Just open your hands up if you would receive a blessing. Just open them up like you're about to. Somebody's about to give you a big TV, flat screen. You know, flat screen, big, big screen. You want more blessings, open it up. And I really want you to just close your eyes and, and receive this. Father, I bless Freedom Fellowship, the the people that are here this morning, with a renewed hunger for your word. I bless them today that the Holy Spirit began to move in a fresh way in their lives and in their spirit, man, to cause them to understand the word better. And Father, I come against discouragement. When we miss a day and we think, well, I just, I failed. And the enemy would say, see, you're not really, really trying. That even if you miss a day of reading the word, the next day you would say, yes, that was, de- that was yesterday. Today's a new day. And I want the word in me. Father, I bless this congregation to have good memories. That we would remember the word. That we would file it away and then when times and circumstances come up, the word would pop up. It would come out of our hearts immediately to address the situation that's before us. Which would dispel the fear. So I bless our people, I bless our congregation today with an awareness of the word. An awareness of their surroundings. Father, who to walk away from and who to invite in. For a new, a keen discernment of our situations and circumstances of where you're at in the word. What you're speaking to us through your word. And Father, I bless this congregation when the word corrects and brings correction or reproof. Father, that we would gladly receive it. 
Because we know you do that because you love us. And you want us to grow and mature. So, Father, today, I bless this body of believers with an awareness of your word, a new strength of your word, a new determination to be in your word. And finally, Father, I bless this congregation to live the word. To live the word day by day, moment by moment, walking in faith. Because that's going to change the world. In Jesus' name. Would you all receive that? Say amen. 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 Come on, let's give God a hand. Did you have something, Glenn?